you're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Today, what I want to do is continue our study of Ephesians chapter 4. Today, I want to look at just moving verse by verse through this throughout the year, looking at how we're gifted by God and how God has gifted believers with spiritual gifts. Look with me, beginning in verse 7, where I'm calling it first, you're gifted by God. You're gifted by God. Look with me, verse 7. But grace, Conrad read this a moment ago, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, the us in verse 7 are those who are in Christ. The us in verse 7 are those who've born again. That's the words of Jesus. Converted to faith in Christ. Embraced Christ as Lord and Savior. Not done, not done a head nod, like just acknowledge the cross, but the cross of Jesus Christ paid for our sins, doing a great work in us. When that happened, if you're in Christ, the Bible says God gave you a spiritual gift. So if you're in Jesus Christ, at the moment of your conversion, he gave you a spiritual gift. I don't care how old you are, what race you are, your nationality, how intelligent, your education, whether you're a felon or not, or whatever the state of Texas thinks about you, the Bible says at the moment of your conversion, you were gifted. You are a gifted child of God by virtue of your conversion to Jesus Christ. Now, a spiritual gift, what is that? Well, let me just give you a working, we'll get into more of this in a moment. But it's a God-given, it's a God-given spiritual ability. It's a God-given spiritual ability for service and ministry. I want to remind you, some of you think because it's spiritual, it's inferior. The physical, the physical world, the world you and I see, always responds to the spiritual world. Spiritual takes the priority. The heavenlies, that's where the rulership is. Washington, Moscow, Austin, they may think they run things, but the council of the heavenlies, that's the spiritual. And so you've been given a spiritual gift at the moment of your conversion. It's this ability that God has given you to equip the body. And you are again gifted. You are gifted. When I was a young man going to public school in Western Kentucky, there was a thing called gifted and talented. And so the middle of the middle of the class, they'd gather up all the gifted and talented and they'd go out to some other special class and the rest of us would just be there. (laughs) True story. And years later, I wondered to myself, well, if they're gifted and talented, what does that make me? I've got my answer for it. I don't need you to tell me. But the Bible says you are a gifted child. You have a gift. Now, what is a spiritual gift? A moment ago, it's a God-given spiritual ability. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers your spiritual gift. Jesus said on one occasion, apart from me, the me is Jesus, you can do nothing. So you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Spirit is there and it's used in the ministry of the church. The graphic, as you can see on the screen, is talking about eyes on the bride. This whole section is about the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, something very important, very precious. So using your gift, you're empowered by the Spirit. Now, you may have gotten a talent at your physical birth, but you've got a spiritual gift at your spiritual birth. And friend, if you're here today and you've just been born once, you're in trouble. You need to be born twice. Jesus said you need to be born again. You must be born again. And so when you operate in your spiritual gift, you will often feel 
uh, a power surge. That's how one pastor described it, a power surge. When you operate in it, and I'm going to tell you probably the best way to figure out your spiritual gift is just get busy. And you'll feel this like, wow, this is cool. And, And you won't maybe have it consciously or say it out loud, but you'll kind of feel like, I think this is... I think this is why I was designed. I think this is why I was made. You'll feel a power surge as you do it. I hope that every one of you get that feeling at one time or another. Now, some of the examples of spiritual gifts are given to us in verse 11, but this is the only place the New Testament tells us spiritual gifts. Here are some. The Bible tells us, verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Now again, the New Testament has numerous lists. You might just want to write down 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4 next to that. That's a few places that you'll find spiritual gifts. But among these gifts, you'll notice that the list, first it says apostles. Now, apostles are not around anymore. I don't care what the guy on television says to you. Apostles are not around anymore. As the New Testament teaches, if you want to be an apostle, you've got to see the risen Jesus Christ. Now, an apostle, look at this next, the prophet. Many of you are gifted to speak for Christ. You have this gift. God is supernaturally empowering you, the Spirit of God, to speak for Christ. You can speak God's words. Now, some of you think a prophet is someone who predicts. There's a lot of that going around right now, especially with Christians involved with politics. They make predictions. Be careful with that gift. When I step out and make a prediction, My Bible says I've got to be right all the time. And if I'm not right all the time, wrong doesn't come from Jesus, okay? So no matter what I claim, I've got to be right. But this piece of prophecy, it's a speak, speaking over you, speak into your life. That's a great place for a dad, by the way, when a dad could speak into your life. Because a dad has that ability, can just kind of tap you on the chest, put that finger in your chest like a coach would have back in the day. Some of you are shepherds. You're gifted, right in verse 11, you're gifted to shepherd one another. And what that means is, among other things, is sometimes that love and compassion and care and a physical touch. You know, one individual, a pastor told me, one individual went and got a haircut every week. Why? Because the young man, it was the only safe physical touch he would receive. And I've been telling you for weeks now, this Generation Z, 1995 to the present, Jeroboam, They're lonely. It's an epidemic of loneliness. They're deceived, and they think these phones are going to answer things. They're not. So when you get permission, you have this safe ability, put the hands right up here to wrap your arms around them and love them and give them physical touch and to do it to honor them and speak words of encouragement. When you come to the body of Christ, as I'm going to say in a moment, Jesus didn't die to build an audience. He died to build this church. And so when we come together, what if you had this this minimum requirement that when you walk together inside the building of the church, that you spoke a word of encouragement, a word of love to someone? Many of you may say, well, nobody speaks to me. Maybe the solution is you speak to others. We'll get there. And so shepherding, shepherding is a gift. You don't have to have REV, the title, reverend, in front of your name to be a shepherd. Some of you are great shepherds. You care, you're compassionate. There's so many gifts here. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4. And the giftings, part of this church is so great. Love this, how you're gifted. Some of you are gifted to serve others. 
to cook and to care. Walked a guest down a few minutes ago to our children's area. The people down there, they are so gifted to serve. You know, an hour with some of those kids, I, I might do something would get me arrested, but they are so patient, are they not? They're so patient, they're so kind. They have that gift. And then others, you have the gift of being a good Samaritan, that sense of mercy. And if you've got that gift, get outside these walls and serve in the Good Samaritan. If Jesus is anything, it's for the needy, the, the, the people who are disenfranchised, the marginalized. Put your arms around them, lift them up. Be the Good Samaritan. What did he do? He reached in his pocket. He reached in his pocket and he gave of some of his money, Jesus said, in order to take care of others. And you've got, some of you have got a mind for ministry. You've got a mind for it. You're thinking like an entrepreneur. Oftentimes I will tell our staff, we're a 65-year-old church. If we were a business, we'd be like an old all-state business. We'd be like an old state farm business, been around for years. But we can't just rely on decades of good contacts. We've got to be entrepreneurs. We've got to be thinking on the edge about how do we get in this community and get people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you have been gifted with that mind of ministry. You have a mind of an entrepreneur. Get after it. Get after it. You don't need my permission to get after it. And if you think it's going to be dumb or stupid, you might check with somebody, all right? If you're going to do stupid in the name of North Richard Hills Baptist, check with somebody, all right? But spiritual gift. Each of us have, who are in Christ, have an ability, a ministry that has been given to us by Jesus Christ. Talents come at physical birth. Spiritual gifts come by being born again. And that means here, you're not an accident in the body of Jesus Christ. You're not an accident in the body of Jesus Christ. He's got a place for you. He's got a purpose for you. Now, when we look at verse 7, and we take it in from 1 Corinthians 12 and other places, we need to be aware that not all of us have the same gifts. Not all of us have the same spiritual gifts. I have gifts that you don't have. You have gifts that I don't have. In fact, if you and I have the same spiritual gift, you may have more of the gift than I have. The potency of your gift may be greater than mine. Mine might be diluted in some way. Yours could be less than mine. You could have the gift, but you may have less of the gift. We may have the very same gift, but differing levels of ability. Jesus spoke of a parable one time that three different people, they had what, one, five, and ten talents. Now, Jesus determines the gifts. Verse 7, grace was given to each one of us, the us is in Christ, according to the measure of Christ's gift. He makes the determination. You may be a ten-gift person or a ten-talent person. You may be a one-talent person. You say, I don't like it. Well, take it up to management. Maybe Jesus might say to you what my dad said to me as a kid. I'm not running a democracy here. You just, you just stay in your lane, Jesus might say. Jesus is the one who determines my gift and how much I have of it. But every one of us has a spiritual gift, and the grace of God determines your gift. Hear that carefully. The grace of God determines your gift. Your gifting is not up to your merit. It's up to your intelligence or your education. It's up to the grace of God. So he didn't take a yardstick out and say, I see your IQ, therefore I'm going to give you this much gifting. It's not about that at all. You're saved by grace. You're secured by grace, and you serve by grace. Now Jesus gives us, actually Paul here, gives us an analogy, an illustration, beginning in verse 8. And it's confusing. 
Look what it says, beginning in verse 8. Therefore, it says, and he's going to quote the Old Testament, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Again, this is so confusing for us. Some of us think, well, is the Bible teaching here that Christ ascended into hell? Not at all. The descent is Bethlehem. He even says there the earth. And the ascent is shortly after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul is using an analogy that would have been common in his time. Let's stop here and look at this. Who's the big world superpower in the New Testament is written? Starts with Rome, right? Starts with R-O-M-E. Rome, and what would happen? A conquering general would come back, and he would come under the, the ark there, the, the, the eternal city of Rome. And something would happen when he would conquer. He would come back, history tells us, he would even put a red pigment on his face, red pigment on his face, and he would bring the conquered, the conquered generals, the conquered kings. They would be chained to his chariot or whatever might have you. Indeed, he would come back and he would bring the booty. That would, he was what he took from the conquered, all their proceeds. And as he came back in this parade, I think St. Patty's Parade, Chicago, and he would begin to hand it out. That's what was the common thing. So Paul takes the common occurrence of a general in Rome, and he makes the connection to Jesus Christ. Jesus descended at Bethlehem. He conquered the spiritual evil forces. And as he is resurrected and then ascended, the ascension is the crowning of Jesus. That is the spiking of the football, if you will. That's the touchdown dance. All the competition is no longer there. He's won. And at that moment, Jesus does something important. He hands gifts out to his children. He hands gifts out to his children. That's what he's saying in verse 8. By the way, on Father's Day, Jesus is an excellent model for us. Because as a father, typically we have the most resources. And if we father well, we do exactly what Jesus did. We come back and we hand those resources out. Dad, you may be like me. I think to myself, you know, the Lord has given me good income, but I don't get to buy the fun stuff that I want to buy as much as I would like, right? And we're not going to look over at my wife because she would say otherwise, and she's just wrong here. We often think with our paycheck, we just have to give it out, give it out, give it out, give it out. And you think, when? And then listen to a sound counsel from an older man in our church who told me one time. He said, your older self will tell your younger self, serve them during these days because you'll be proud that you did. That's, that's how you take your responsibility. You act like Jesus. You serve others. You love others with your resources, whether you're a dad, man, woman, whatever you are. Jesus models that for us. We're here to love others. We're here to put others first. And Jesus is communicating this. Paul is communicating this. He's telling us the ascension of Jesus Christ is a public display that Christ has conquered his enemies, and he's handing out these gifts. So therefore, in verse 8, when Christ ascends, when Christ ascends, he leads a host of captives. That is, he's taking the spiritual evil forces, he's conquered them. He will finally and fully conquer them at the second coming. He will finally and fully conquer them at the second coming, okay? 
Now, that, that works like Juneteenth. The slaves were free when Lincoln gave the Emancipation Proclamation. They just weren't aware of it till two and a half years later. And they didn't fully realize it for much later. We had the spiritual forces conquered at the cross, but it took a long time for us to feel that. And there's coming a day when we will feel that. We will sense that. So let me stop here and talk about spiritual gifts and ask you a question. Do you know your spiritual gift? Do you know your spiritual gift? If you're in Christ and you've been a believer for a period of time, you may be a teenager, you have a gift. You may be a child who's a believer. You have a spiritual gift. Well, how do I know my spiritual gift? Well, one of the most popular ways in present Christianity is to take a spiritual gift inventory. We've given you one. It's in your sermon notes there. You may just go to that online piece that's been a part of our church for well over a decade. Uh, there's several dozen questions there to help you identify. It would be good for you to do that. But I wonder what all these Christians did before spiritual gift inventories. I guess they couldn't figure out their spiritual gift because nobody put together an inventory. Let me give you the best way that i found. Get involved in a church and get serving. Just roll your sleeves up. You know, a church our size may have less needs than their parent than other churches. But I would start in smaller churches when I was younger. And the needs are great there. Typically, there's lots of places that are not connected. There's lots of needs there. And it may work like this for you. Maybe, maybe there's a need within our church for people to sing solos, and I step up because nobody else is. And this is how it works. This is how it's going to work. A wise believer is going to put his arm, her arm around me and say, Pastor, we love you, but that's not your gift, okay? <laughs> yeah. We're going to find somebody else to do that. Wise believers will help you identify your gift. That's why it's important to be a part of a body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then again, when you find your gift, oftentimes what happens is there's a power search. There's a power search. Now, by the way, this is the key to making yourself happy. If you want to be happy, if you want to be depressed, serve yourself. Be narcissistic. Be about the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. That's the quickest way to depression. If you want to be long-term happy, begin to put other people's needs before your own. And you'll begin to see that surge and you'll feel that giftedness. And sometimes, sometimes you have to serve. It's not your gift. And that's okay. You do it temporarily until someone with the gift steps up. But this is critical for your growth. You have to serve in order to grow. You need the body to grow. Spiritual gift is not an individual piece. You find a place to serve, and then you will grow within the body. By the way, I love mission trips. If I had my way, if I had my way, by the way, pastor, I don't like this about our church. Well, join the club. I'm the pastor and there's some things I don't care for either. But if I had my way for just like a day, every member of our church would go on a mission trip. Every member of our church would go on a mission trip. Every one of us would. Now, you say, well, a lot of you are making excuses already. Remember, excuses don't do anything. Excuses do not bring paychecks home to pay for the groceries. Excuses do not go across the street to win people to faith in Christ. So put your excuses some other place, okay? 
I would wish that every one of us go on a mission trip. In a mission trip, you will deploy your spiritual gift. And it's going to take some searching, some mental back and forth. Because that group, when you're somewhere else, essentially is the microcosm of the church. And perhaps somebody else is operating in the strength of their gift better than you might. They may have a greater potency of it. And then you identify a secondary gift or a tertiary gift. But you get after it. If all of us, it's a great way. So here's a fill in the blank for us this morning. I remember the first time God really, really used me in someone else's life. Just what is that fill in the blank? I remember the first time God really used me in someone's life and you just fill in the blank. Friend, here's again. Find a place. Find a place and get to serving. You will be blessed and you will grow. So here again, just kind of round out this first point here in verse 7. Quick summary. You have a gift. Jesus determines your gift. Your gift isn't based on merit, but based on the grace of God. And every saved person has a spiritual gift, a God-given ability, empowered by the Spirit of God to serve in the body of Jesus Christ. Secondly, your gift is for your growth. Look with me. Now, look at this. The Bible here is talking about your growing up. Verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. Verse 15, that we may grow up in every way. God wants the believer to grow up. And there's nothing worse than an adult who will not grow up. You are not attractive if you're 35 years of age playing Minecraft in the basement of your mama. You're not going to get a date. I don't care how much technology or how much all that online stuff's going on. That just not work. It's gross, right? We need to grow up in the body of Christ. Now, this is the go-to metaphor Paul will use. Uses it all over the place. The go-to metaphor, the favorite metaphor for the body for the church is the body. And he refers to it here, beginning in verse 16. Look at these words. From whom the whole body joined and held together, every joint which is equipped, with each part working properly, key phrase, each part working properly makes the body grow. Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Begin the body. Now think about this and the the peace we need one another. Why do fish travel in schools? Why do cattle move in herds? Why do birds fly in formation? And why do even hyenas move in packs? Because they realize they cannot reach their potential without one another. Everything in nature realizes this. And so lions will prey on animals that are isolated. A bear will pick out a fish in isolation. And you and I, if we're going to grow as believers, we need one another. And Satan, the Bible says, is like a roaring lion. He's looking, he's scanning to find one. And the easiest person, take it from someone who's pastored now for more than two decades, the easiest person to devour is the person who gets off by themselves. They just separate from the body. In fact, we can make it this way, just make it really easy. Here in a few months when this weather turns and you're out camping and you make a fire, you've got a good fire built up, middle of the night, and you take an ember from that fire and you move it about three feet away from the fire. Which will go out first? Which will extinguish first, the campfire or the ember? When you separate yourself from the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you separate yourself from your small group, your Bible fellowship group, your spiritual ember will extinguish quicker 
It just always happens that way. Believers are not made for isolation. I need you, you need me. Spiritual growth is a group project. Spiritual gifts are a group project. And this is where America has sold us a bill of goods. We have been sold this bill of goods. It's in the ethos, it's in the philosophy of America that all we need is ourselves, individualism, and we have drunk from these inebriated waters, these satanic waters from the degree now that we can't even determine our own gender. This so individual piece. I need you and you need me, the community of that. I need you to speak into my life. You need me. It's again, it's a group project, the spiritual gift. Now, it's Father's Day, so I can use a gross illustration, right? Because it's all just men in here, right? So, look at this. Don't try this at home. If I were to cut off a baby's finger, I told you it was gross, but it's, it's going to be helpful. If I were to cut off a baby's finger, the baby will grow, but the finger will not, right? Why is that? Because the, the finger's not connected to the body. If I were to cut off the toe of a baby... The baby will grow, but the toe will not. Why is that? Because the toe only grows when it's connected to the body. The finger only grows when it's connected to the body. The church of Jesus Christ is the body, and you will not grow if you're cut off from the body. Again, the ember has to stay with the fire. The hyena works together as a pack. Birds fly together. Cattle are in herds, and fish stay in schools. If you're gonna grow, you need us. But let's reverse this for just a moment. Let's talk about us for just a minute. Have you, reminds me of the man who was at a party, just went on and on talking about himself, talking, talking, talking about himself. He said, finally came up for air. Everybody was about to disengage. He said, enough about me. I've talked a lot about me. Now you talk about me. <laughs> We're not gonna do that. You need the body to grow but the body needs you to grow. The Bible talks about your giftedness. And your giftedness with your personality, you're unique. We know that snowflakes are unique. We know that fingerprints are unique. I'm told that even the lip prints are unique as well as other distinguishing marks on my body. When you use your spiritual gifts, you can minister to someone that oftentimes I cannot. There may be something about my personality that's off-putting. But when you show up, you have this way of connecting with them. Again, the head knows what's right for the body. And so when we put our gifts together and you show up, your gift is not just for you, it's for us. It's not just for your growth, it's for our growth. And again, the text is using this incredible analogy of the body of Jesus Christ. And imagine if I was standing here before you today in some way handicapped, maybe I had an amputation of some part, it would be a major defining piece to me. Yes, I could go on, but the church of Jesus Christ is often handicapped by just that. People who do not put their gifts in service. Because again, the text of scripture here speaks clearly that you and I are gifted and we have to stay together. If we don't have your gift operating, we're not at full capacity. Let me hear that carefully. You hear that carefully. If we do not have your gift operating, we are not at full capacity. 
you'll take your Bible now and just put a bookmark in Ephesians 4 and flip over, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 10. Tenth chapter of Hebrews. I just want to finish up here in the tenth chapter in just a few minutes to come. The Bible says here in Hebrews chapter 10, if you will, and let us, the Bible says, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Hebrews chapter 10, now verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet one another as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. That little word stir up, you might just want to circle that word. It's a word that means to irritate. Literally in the Greek, it means to irritate. Some of you are doing a very good job of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. What does it mean to irritate someone? Oftentimes it means to disagree, to sharply confront, and it's a command that when we're in a small group together, and if I had my preference between big church, as we called it when I was a kid, big church and small groups, Bible fellowship, I would have every one of you in a Bible fellowship group. Why? Because that's where your spiritual gift can operate. And that's where you can speak in the lives of one another. You know, hear me carefully. Jesus did not die to build an audience. He died, he sweat blood to build a church. And he values his bride. The second favorite analogy of a church is the word bride. The New Testament loves to refer to the church as a body and a bride. Now, I've been married for 26 years this past week, okay? And if you come after my bride, I've got some redneck in me, okay? If I value my bride like that, how does Jesus value his bride? We're to stay connected with one another. And again, we live in this age of free agency. Some of us who are sports fans, we remember back in the day when your favorite team, when the player played for a decade or more. But now we change. They change sports. We change our employment. My grandfather worked for the U.S. Steel Mill for 30 plus years. Never had another career other than that. Worked every day in Pittsburgh for that. And we changed. But now we also are free agents when it comes to church. And the difficulty is that if I don't get mine, then I'll just pull out of here and I'll take my toys and go home. You know who's hurt? The body and you. Because the Bible calls on me to stir one another up, to oftentimes irritate one another. We've got to stay connected. We've got to employ our spiritual gifts. Verse 25, the Bible says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. The word meeting there in verse 25 is the word synagogue. The word synagogue in the Greek means to meet together. And again, Jesus Christ went through a lot of hard work. He put a lot of sweat and a lot of blood and a lot of tears to create what we're celebrating this morning. That's an important piece. Have you valued the church properly? He put a lot of sweat, he put a lot of blood, he put a lot of tears, and he put his very life into the church of Jesus Christ. He valued this. He loved the church so much, he died for the church. And we need to value the assembly of one another. And I love having a thousand people here. But Christ did not die to create an audience. He died to create a church. So when we gather together in the small groupness of what happens, and we rub one another, we irritate one another, we stir one another up, not just irritation for irritation purposes, but to a greater purpose. And again, 
This is what a father can do. This is what a mother can do. This is what I need as a young man. Somebody putting fingers in my chest, saying, Maze, you're not giving enough effort here. Right? Some of you are military. That's exactly what happened. And we need to have a commitment to one another to permit you to do that in my life. Let's just pause here for just a second. If we're going to be a good church and we're going to be godly men, one of the ways that we have to speak to one another is in truth. One of the things that's killing us as men is pornography. It's killing us. This is a worse epidemic with pornography than the epidemic of smoking when I was a kid in the 70s. Only we don't have a Surgeon General's warning on it. And we as men, if we're going to serve well, need to get out of the secrets and get out in the public with people we trust and communicate because it is killing our marriages, it's killing our homes. If we're going to be a blessing, a tree of shade for families, we've got to steward this well. It means we've got to share our resources well. And how does that happen? It happens when I open my life up with other men. And again, they can speak into my life and ask how that's going. And these young men need this. They need older men, wiser men who have that gift of this. So it's great that you've come to big church this week. But are you going to move into a smaller group? Will you spend weeks there and months there and years there with other brothers and sisters in Christ? It could be a life group in the middle of the week. It could be strong brothers in Christ, strong sisters in Christ who have the ability to speak to one another and encourage one another and to use our gifts for the growth of the body. You need the body and the body needs you. And I know that we're on the back heels of a pandemic. But technology cannot give us the meeting together of the body of Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful for technology. It put us together when we couldn't. And I have a lot of people over the past year. Pastor was so great to watch you in my pajamas and drink coffee and all that. I get it. I get it. But listen carefully to me. If you give the same attention to the screen that I give when I'm on a Zoom call, I've got five things going in front of my computer all the time. And if you're not keeping up with the right pace, I'm over at Facebook and Twitter looking at something else. Better yet, you need to be here because we need one another. I need to see your face. I need to put my arms around you and hug you and tell you it's so good to see you and ask how your week is doing and how your growth is going. We need one another. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.